0: Welcome to Faith Baptist Church, Great Village, where we believe in the truth of the gospel, building of community, and engaging in the mission of Christ. We hope you enjoy this week's message as our pastors share from God's Word. Big church. Good morning, church family. How are we doing? Great. I heard a great. Okay. Turn to Ecclesiastes chapter nine, if you would. I haven't preached for three Sundays. It's been the better part of four weeks since I've been up here for a sermon time. So are are you ready? Oh boy. Uh, We're gonna do Ecclesiastes chapter nine and 10 today. And the title for today's sermon is Life's Surprising Gift. I hate surprises. Anybody with me? No, you're not going to raise your hand because you don't like surprises. You'd rather plan and prepare, right? You weren't prepared to raise your hand. You're not going to raise your hand. Uh, when we bought our first home in New Brunswick, little two-bedroom bungalow, little kitchen, little dining room, little living room, two bedrooms and a bathroom, that was it, uh, our friends from the young adults group at church threw us a surprise party So we're getting groceries and we're on the way home, we're carrying the groceries to the door and I hear voices inside my new home. The biggest purchase of my life to that date and there are people inside my home. So I sneak around the back and I'm peeking in the windows. I hate surprises. Do you know what I like? I like schedule and routine. Don't mind my gum in the top corner, it's better on there than in my mouth while I speak. All these nice, neat little time frames and details. And we can just, you know, let's just follow the schedule. Step one, step two, step three. Anybody with me? And somebody from my dear, dear Sunday morning celebration, Sunday service team said this morning, shouldn't we leave room for the spirit to move in here? I struggle with that. You know what? Just to be honest, if I could confess to you, I struggle to be spontaneous. I like things planned and routine, and I like knowing what's coming. But life's not really like that. Have you noticed that? We need to talk about that, I think. Uh, Last week, Doug gave us some great wisdom. That was a lot of fun, wasn't it? I had some good laughs. I don't think I've... Laugh that much in a sermon time for a long time. Um, we're not just here for a good time or a long time. One thing is certain and that thing is death. It's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. There's a time clock, time clock on your lives. We, we shouldn't be surprised by death. It's certain. It should inform the way that we live. Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verses 1 to 3 solomon knew it was coming verse one but all this i laid to heart examining it all how the righteous and the wise their deeds are in the hand of god whether it is love or hate man does not know both are before him it's the same for all since the same event happens to the righteous and to the wicked, to the good and to the evil, to the clean and the unclean, him who sacrifices, him who does not sacrifice as the one is, so is the sinner. The one who swears as he who shuns an oath. It's all the same. This is an evil in all that's done under the sun. The same event happens to all. Also, the hearts of children of men are full of evil and madness is in their hearts while they live. And after that, they go to the dead. It's a good starting point, isn't it? Last week, we talked about the point of mourning and suffering and grief and death. The reality is we all die. Death and taxes, right? The two certainties in life. Aren't those the two certainties in life? For Solomon, death begs the question, if we all die, is there a point to living? If there's only so much time and we're all getting older and we know that there will come a day when we breathe our last, then what's the point? Have you ran into that fatalistic attitude before? Ecclesiastes chapter 9 and verse 4. Just get, get the first part of this verse. But, thank goodness for the buts in the Bible, right? But, he who is joined with all the living has hope. Wait a second. Solomon is breaking through this cynical and jaded character, talking about how everybody dies, doesn't matter if you're good, bad, or ugly, you die. That's the certainty of life. And then he says, but wait a second. While they are joined with the living, while you're living, while you're breathing, while you're moving, while you have cognitive function, there is hope. The living has hope. Doesn't hope cut through that fatalistic mindset? Yes, we all die. But while you're living, there is a chance. There is an opportunity. There is a moment for hope. Verse 4, he who is joined with all the living has hope. For a living dog is better than a dead lion. For the living know that they will die. But the dead know nothing and they have no more reward, for the memory of them is forgotten. Their love and their hate and their envy have already perished, and forever they have no more share in all that is done under the sun. All of this is under the sun. In our physical experience, what we see and hear and observe here and now, under the sun, in this physical reality that we call life. Okay, think about this. A living dog is better than a dead lion. That makes sense, right? Once the lion is dead, death being the great equalizer, his strength is no more. So he has no strength to overcome the dog. Maybe while the lion was alive, you'd rather have the lion on your team than the dog on your team, but since the lion's dead, well, it's better to have a living dog. Notice he doesn't say a living cat. I just want to point that out. (laughs) Living dog is better than a dead lion. Let's think a little further on this. Solomon says the dead know nothing. Keep in mind this is life under the sun, our physical reality. If all there is is this life, when you die, maybe there's nothing more if life is just under the sun then the dead know nothing. We know that that's not the truth of our existence in this life. But if it were, then the dead know nothing. But the living know this, they will die. He says it's like a benefit, it's like a blessing, it's an advantage. How is knowing that, someday I'm going to die, an advantage to living your life? Wasn't that the point of Doug's sermon last week? We know we're not just here for a good time. We're here for a good name, but we're here for a short time. How should that inform the way that we live in our 20s? You remember he said, I can't believe on Friday nights in my 20s I used to say, let's get stupid. You remember that? Take care of yourself in your 20s. In your 40s, don't do something stupid thinking you're still in your 20s. And then your 50s, those are the best years of life. You remember him saying that? Knowing that our life is short and brief and but a moment and a vapor that appears and is gone should inform the way we live our life. It should add value. It should make our life more and more precious, should it not? Life doesn't just go on and on and on and on. You know when you uh, go to gameshark.com and you get the cheat code and then you can't die in the video game and you just do whatever you want, right? But knowing that you only have one life makes your life more precious. Makes you want to invest it, want you to do it right. You can't just live flippantly. It should inform the way that we live. But Solomon, what he's getting at in chapter 9, death is certain, life affords us this This brief moment of opportunity. Life's surprising gift. The living has hope. Why? Because they know that someday they're going to die. So, what can be done about that? It's these moments of clarity in life when we're hit with the fragility of life where we open to consider what life is really all about. Life beyond the sun. There is more. That's where the eternity that God has placed in our heart has room to speak into the experience of our life. The shocking reality of death calls us to consider the deep questions of life more than the pleasures of this life ever will. That's where Solomon goes next. Look at verse 7, Ecclesiastes chapter 9. Go, eat your bread with joy, drink your wine with a merry heart, For God has already approved what you do. That's kind of the fatalistic mindset. There's a plan. You're just following the plan. It's like deism. God is the grand clock master. He wound up the hands of time. Now we're just watching them tick down. God already knows what you're going to do already. There's already a plan in place. Verse 8. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. "'Enjoy life with the wife whom you love, all the days of your vain life that he has given you under the sun, because that is your portion in life, in your toil, at which you toil under the sun. Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might, for there is no work or thought or knowledge or wisdom in Sheol to which you are going.'" There's nothing wrong with enjoying the good things in this life knowing that they come from the hand of a good God. We talked about that in week two, right? I appreciate good food and good drink and clean clothes and a warm house and the relationships I have with my friends and family. I enjoyed my egg on toast this morning and that good strong coffee this morning and the cozy clothes that I was wearing and the warm house and my family who I got to greet this morning and getting to work and prepare on this sermon that I feel called to preach. I feel like these are God's goodness in my life. And I just want to say thank you, God, for your goodness in my life. But here's the reality. C.S. Lewis says that God whispers to us in our pleasures, but he shouts at us in our pain. And the tough things that we go through in life and the surprising curveballs and when life turns out the way that we didn't expect it calls our attention to these big questions in the book of Ecclesiastes like no pleasure in life ever will. Why God? Why would you let that happen? We wouldn't ask those questions if there were no surprise twists and turns in the road, would we? If everything was routine and ordinary and expected. Do you see Solomon's prevailing thought throughout this passage? The sovereignty of God, the brevity of days that he's given you, and the certainty of the grave that is to come. Coming face to face with my own mortality when I turned 20 years old and I understood that I had a life-threatening illness deep in my immune system, it brought me more clarity to life than anything to that point had. I shared that, that testimony at the men's breakfast back in January. And so many of you have a similar story. I didn't take this Jesus thing seriously until the loss of a loved one, until an illness, until a surprise curveball in life that I wasn't ready for that reminded me that life doesn't always go according to plan. It can be unpredictable. I need to rest and rely on the one who never changes and is always faithful. I can't count on the day going the way I thought it would, but I can count on a God who always does what is good. That's where Solomon's mind seems to go in this passage. Let's follow the train of thought. Verse 11. He says again, I saw that under the sun, this is his perspective, this cynical, jaded character that believes there's nothing more to this life than what we see here and now. Again, I saw under the sun, the race isn't always to the swift. The battle... It's not always won by the strong. Bread, not to the wise, nor riches to the intelligent, nor favor to those with knowledge, but time and chance happen to them all. Life doesn't always go the way we think it should. Verse 12. Man doesn't know his time, like little Nemo that's taken in an evil net, like birds that are caught in a snare. So the children of man are snared at an evil time when it suddenly falls upon them. Did I mention I hate surprises? I hate when life suddenly falls upon me. I don't think hate is too strong of a term. Uh, The week before my freshman year in college, my girlfriend Elsie and I are out to supper getting ready to do the long distance thing for what turned out to be four years of long distance. Man, that was hard. We go back to my parents' house, and we walk around the backyard, and here are 50 people throwing a surprise going away party for me, and the barbecue's rolling, and they all shout surprise, and I said, I think I'll eat at Wendy's, see you later. No, I actually walked around and engaged them, but I don't like surprise parties. You're not ready for it. You can't plan for it. You can't prepare for it. Sitting in freshman class in college, this theater style seating, 80 students gathered around and the professor gets up and he plays this video which is supposed to be an illustration of what he was going to teach on. It turned out to be one of those like gotcha videos where the face jumps on screen and it scares everybody. So here I am, I've told this story before, maybe you know how this is going to go. My hands are deep in my pockets, I'm sitting back in this chair that's connected to the desk which is too small for a six foot three individual like myself. And then the face jumps on screen, scares me. You know how there's the flight or fight response? I'm the fight response. I try and get my hands up as fast as I can and I ripped both pockets in my pants. (laughs) Trying to get my hands up to protect myself. On Mondays, I like to set up an office space at the People's Church facility in town. There's nobody there, it's quiet, it's a good spot to get some work done. I'm using the washroom one Monday, facility's dark. I open up the door and my aunt is right there and jumps out and scares me. And I just did this visceral response like, "Hey!" I hate surprises. We're driving on the highway past Moncton. It's like midnight. I'm doing 115 kilometers an hour. I reach down to adjust the radio. I look up and there's a full-size dog in the middle of the highway, right in front of our little Chevy Malibu. And I didn't, I just, just another visceral response. And I just said, yeah. (laughs) I won't tell you how that story ended, but it, it wasn't good. Surprises. I hate surprises. I much prefer a linear pattern of cause and effect. Expected outcomes. Not spontaneous. In a word, boring. That's how I like it. I like my calendar. I like knowing what's coming. I don't thrive well in chaos. I like clarity and patterns. Maybe that helps me in my leadership. I like to have a heads up. But life's not like that. Have you noticed this? Life's full of surprises. Unexpected twists, turns, curveballs. You can prepare and you can plan and you should. But man, that part about leaving our plans with a loose grip in the hands of God whose plan is greater and far beyond our own? That's hard. Am I the only one who finds that hard? Anybody else with me? Okay. All right. Verse 11. The fastest doesn't always win the race. Sometimes they pull a hammy or they get caught for doping. They're disqualified. The strongest doesn't always win the battle. Sometimes they get cocky, and in a moment, in a slip, Conor McGregor gets choked out, and he's dethroned. The smartest doesn't always get the best job. The wisest doesn't always bring home the bread. Doesn't Solomon talk about this throughout the book of Ecclesiastes? Didn't Solomon's dad ask these questions? Why do the wicked prosper? That doesn't make any sense. Shouldn't living right bring about the right result all the time? Why are there so many exceptions to the rule? Time and chance happen to them all. The New Living Translation says of that verse, It is all decided by chance, by being in the right place at the right time. Yikes. I don't like that. Is that what we believe? This is one of the passages in wisdom literature that you have to look at in the greater context of Scripture, right? Because Scripture doesn't teach luck and fortune and being in the right place at the right time, necessarily. Chance. It's the Hebrew term pega, meaning chance, occurrence, happening. It comes from the Hebrew word pega, meaning to meet, to encounter, to fall upon, to stumble upon the man who was traveling to Jericho who fell upon thieves, who stripped him and beat him and left him at the side of the road half dead. You remember that story, the Good Samaritan? He wasn't expecting that and it just happened. Chance. When life hits you with the unexpected. You ever have something that happens in life that's surprise and unexpected? Yeah? Solomon is taking an even more negative approach than just unexpected, this this observation in our physical reality of life under the sun. He's talking about luck. He's talking about misfortune. We've probably used those terms, haven't we? I'm I'm just lucky, I guess. It's the luck of the draw, right? Oh, that's unfortunate. That's, That's unlucky for you. We've got to rid ourselves of that vocabulary because that's anti-gospel, anti-biblical, isn't it? We don't believe in luck. We we had the uh, Honduras missions team over to our house, and we had Chinese food, and then there's fortune cookies that come with the Chinese food. And somebody said, fortune cookies at the pastor's house? Like, kind of poking fun. But it's true, isn't it? We should get rid of this luck and fortune and talk about, about superstition. We don't We believe God's plans are bigger than that, don't we? That God is sovereign, that he has a plan, that he's ultimately in control. It's not just about being in the right place at the right time. It's about following his will, his plan for our lives. Do we believe in a thing called luck? When life seems to work together for our good, is that luck? When people die young or face illness or fall into a bad business deal or they buy their house when the market's high and they end up selling when the market's low and take a big loss, is that just unlucky? What is that? How do we wrap our minds around that? What does that say about the sovereign plan of our God? Life's surprises are more than fortune and misfortune, aren't they? Verse 12. Man doesn't know his time. And it suddenly falls upon him. Would you want to know all of the details of God's plan for your life? I mean, there's his preferred will, but then there's God's understanding of how your life is going to shape out and how it's going to work together for his good. Would you want to know all of the twists and turns? Would you want to know how much time you have? Would you want to know your demise, where, when, who, how? wouldn't that just paralyze you? How could you function in life if you always knew what was coming down the pike? We see movies like that, don't we? Whether it's the magic eight ball or whatever, but the main character sees his future and then he does the whole plot line trying to avoid that future. I wouldn't want to live like that. God doesn't give you all the twists and turns in the story. He just shows you the next step. His word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. That light doesn't shine all the way down the trail. It just shows you the next few steps, doesn't it? I wouldn't want to know the whole path. I wouldn't be able to handle that. I don't think you'd be able to handle that either. Didn't Steve talk about this? God's will. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will go and do such and such a thing in such and such a place. Make plans. But submit your plans with a loose grip to the one who plans your life, ultimately for your good, for a future and a hope. That's why my update from Houston, Texas, on what was supposed to be the second to last day on our Honduras trip, ended with, Lord willing, I'll see you Sunday. Because I saw the weather forecast and I knew there was a storm coming. What I didn't know was how it was going to affect our travel plans. God had other plans in place, didn't he? So let's talk about God's will for a moment. Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And you could probably go on from there, but your will, your kingdom. The kingdom of God is wherever humanity is subject to his rule and reign, according to his will. We think we know the will of God for our lives, don't we? His general will, according to scripture, is clearly laid out. It's his specific will that we get hung up on, but we think we know, don't we? We talk about it. We think about it. We, we pray about his will. We report from Houston, Texas on God's will. We think we know God's will for our lives. Your will, your kingdom. Lord willing, I want to be home and in my expected planned routine for Sunday, February 4th. I didn't know our travel home would be what it was. I didn't know about the interactions with the homeless people in downtown Toronto that God had planned for me. I keep thinking about this elderly lady who is sitting below the CN Tower asking for money on the curb in Toronto in February. I didn't know about the opportunity in my exhaustion and frustration to express gratitude and appreciation to the workers at Pearson Airport. Andrew, who helped us get on our flight to Halifax. John, who helped us select actual seats to Halifax and actually listened to us. And a beautiful lady named Comfort, who saved us money for our train tickets, whose smile communicated such joy. And then for Curtis to tell us that Alex was on the phone and couldn't find a rental, but the guy from Budget made a decision for Jesus. And then we looked at the team, we said, You know what? I think we could stay in Toronto Airport for another day if it meant another person came to Jesus. We think we understand God's will, don't we? God, I want to be home in my own bed, and I want to be with my church family this Sunday. I think that's your will for my life. We think we know God's will. Life's curveballs show us a depth to his plan that we would never see otherwise. Solomon calls it chance, happenstance, coincidence, luck, being in the right place at the right time. And if there was nothing more to this life, then that's all it would be. Luck. But we know there is one whose ways are far beyond our ways. As the heaven is high above the earth, so are God's thoughts beyond ours, far beyond the sun. Let's jump to chapter 10, if we could. Chapter 10 and verse 1. Dead flies make the perfumer's ointment give off a stench. So a little folly outweighs wisdom and honor. A wise man's heart inclines him to the right, but a fool's heart to the left. Even when the fool walks on the road, he lacks sense and he says to everyone that he is a fool just by the way he walks. If the anger of the ruler rises against you, do not leave your place, for calmness will lay great offenses to rest. This is classic wisdom literature random proverbs that are inserted into a section that don't seem to make sense in the greater context. Stinky perfume, what does that have to do with with what we've been talking about? One dumb choice can outweigh a lot of good choices. A wise heart will lead you in the right direction. You can tell a fool by the way he walks. Remain calm in the presence of an angry ruler. Those are all wise words, right? Right? And in my naivety, I wish life was always like that. Don't you? You get situation A, you give response B, and you get result C. Right? Step one, step two, step three. It's like a math equation that you can always bank on and you'll get the right result. But life's not like that, is it? This is, general truth. Generally, this is true. This is how you respond in wisdom. But the results are ultimately in God's hands. Here's the problem. Here's the prescription. Here's how you will always result with good health. But we know that's not the reality of life. Wouldn't it be great if life was expected and cookie cutter and straightforward and there were no exceptions to the rule? Some of you are thinking that sounds absolutely terrible. But my nature says if I do the right things, I should get the right results, shouldn't I? If I put in the work, I should get the reward. If I pay it forward, it'll be paid back to me eventually. But life's not always like that. Look at verse 5. This is where Solomon goes. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun. As it were an error. Proceeding from the ruler. An exception. Folly is set in many high places. And the rich. They sit in a low place. I've seen slaves on horses. And princes walking on the ground like slaves. Solomon says sometimes life's not fair. Sometimes you see the lowly in the high place and the rich in the low place. Sometimes you see the person who's brand new to the job getting all the perks and benefits of the job. Meanwhile, you've been there for 20 or 30 years and you're getting the short end of the stick. Sometimes life is like you put in all the work, all the effort, all the plans. You do everything you need to do. You work hard, you practice hard, you get up early, you stay up late and somebody else gets picked for the program and you get overlooked. Sometimes life is like that. It's not fair. Solomon's dad asked these questions a lot. Why do the wicked prosper? Why does that happen? You don't know what's going to happen, and you can't secure a desired outcome by your own efforts. Trying harder won't always secure the result that you think Isn't that where the gospel has a beautiful opportunity to invade our routine? Look at verse eight. He who digs a pit will fall into it. A serpent will bite him who breaks through a wall. I took down a wall in my basement this past week and a serpent didn't jump out, praise God. (laughs) Verse nine. He who quarries stones might be hurt by them. He who splits logs is endangered by them. If the iron is blunt and the one does not sharpen the edge, he must use more strength, but wisdom helps one succeed. Sharpen your axe. If the serpent bites before it's charmed, there is no advantage to the charmer because he's snake bit. The snake in the wall, the falling stone, the swinging axe, don't fall in the hole. It's the unknown and the unknowable, isn't it? You don't know what's behind that wall. You don't know if the stone's going to roll down and crunch you. You can do your best, you can plan, you can prepare, and you should. You can value safety in the workplace and make sure you're always wearing protection on the job site as you should. But you don't know the unknown, the unknowable, the potential risks, the things that could happen, asking all the what-if questions. You can live your life like that. You can live your life in fear. You can stay home, afraid to never go outside because what might happen, and it could find you in your home where you think you're safe. What do we do with that? Do we just give up? Unplanned, the freak accident the thing behind the wall you didn't see coming. I'm not trying to scare you, but you have so many stories like this, don't you? And I do too. There's a farmer in New Brunswick who hits a moose and dies, and he leaves his wife and kids with the family farm. So my cousin, who's his relative, goes to help out at the family farm. And just a number of months later, he's driving back in his Mazda from Fredericton, on the highway, late at night, probably adjusting the radio, and he looks up and there's two moose on the road in front of him, either side of the lane. He can't go to the left or the right. So he makes a split-second decision to aim right for the middle of them and duck into the passenger seat. And those moose crumpled the roof of his Mazda like a can opener, and he walked away without a scratch. And you hear a story like that and you think, why what same family same spot similar moose accident two different outcomes is it luck is it unlucky thank you God but God why didn't you how, how do we respond to these situations like how does that make sense this family has a curveball and then this guy who comes to help this family gets the same curveball but it's a different outcome how, how is that fair life's not fair How do we respond to this? I met my friend Adam at college. He's a great guy, married student, had some kids. He left his job, he left his home, he left his country to come to Bible school and to give his life to serve Jesus in whatever God had planned for him. Graduated, ended up going back home, pastoring, caring for a church, principal of a Christian school. He's out in the community with his chainsaw helping to clean up some lumber and a tree falls and he has a head injury that leaves him with some paralysis and limits his cognitive function so that he can no longer be involved in vocational ministry the way that he was. Good father, good husband, guy who gives his life for Jesus. Why? What does that curveball have to do with anything? How does that work? Why is that fair? Why, why not somebody else? We're left asking all these questions, aren't we? What do we do with that? Our day for hope that we had a week ago Saturday, 57 of us in the room, we're sharing stories of grief and loss and mourning And how now in hindsight, we can look back so many of us and see how the plan of God unfolded through our grief, through our trauma, through our loss, through the community that came to care around us. And I think for my friend Adam, I don't know how this is going to work. I think when we get to heaven, we're going to be so overcome by the glory of Jesus that all of our questions are going to fade away. But if there is an opportunity, I want to know. Why did Adam get struck by that tree? Why did he have to live from a young age with a wife and kids and a ministry and a Christian school with this paralysis? I don't know if it's possible, and I don't know if it fits in with a good biblical theology, but I want to be standing with him that moment in heaven without... any paralysis or injury to his face and his head. I want to see that smile when God says, Adam, this is why. These are all the people who came to know the reality of God's love for them through your suffering. I don't know if that's going to be possible, but I want to be there for that moment. We think we know God's will. We think we know how life should work out. We hear a story like Adam's and we say, man, if if he had only had that helmet on, or if he had been standing over here, why didn't that tree fall this way? And we can ask all those questions until the cows come home. But the reality is we believe in a good God. God whose plans for our lives are good. Future and a hope prosper. We don't know how all those things work into the specific details of our life and our situations and our travel home from Honduras, but we can look back and we can see how the tapestry of God's plan weaves through every fiber and every detail. You know what? When we're surprised, I mentioned we have this response, right? And you know what it is. Instinctively, we either flee or we fight, right? We run away or we put our dukes up. But life's surprising gift is this when these curveballs come down the pike, and life hits us with something we didn't expect, or plans didn't go the way we thought they ought to, or life seems unfair, it presents us for this opportunity to respond with faith. Not to run away from God, not to fight God, but to trust God when life doesn't make sense. All the way back, what is it? Verse 5, the living has hope. You know what the hope is while you live? We talked about God's will. You know you have your own free will and you can exercise that free will while you're living because God is a gentleman, God is a loving God, God is a good father. He will not force you, he will not push you, but he invites you, he calls you. He's not willing that any should perish. He sent his son to die for you. And while we have this life, we have this brief moment where we can exercise our free will and we can say yes to God and we can receive his gift of life. In the midst of all these surprises and curveballs and twists in the road, we have this opportunity to respond in faith. Would you stand with me as we close? I don't know where you're at today, maybe you had a weekend like mine, I was getting ready to go sledding, I was going to chaperone a sledding event on Friday and then go to the big sled yesterday, I walked through my kitchen and I, cooked, I kicked a wooden chest, and I'm pretty sure I broke my pinky toe, it's all purple and swollen, and I thought, you know what, that's just how life goes, isn't it? You break your toe right before you plan to carry a bunch of kids up the sledding hill two days in a row. I don't know what kind of week you're having. I don't know what curveballs are coming down your road, but I can tell you this. If life has gone just the way you've expected it to this point, oh, 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 get ready. (laughs) Because that's not how life works. And if you haven't responded in faith yet, I pray that God would do a work in your heart and prepare you to do so. Because like Jonah, you can't run from God forever. Like Paul, you can't fight God forever. God calls us to respond in faith. So I want to encourage you, if you've never done that, today could be the day where you respond in faith to what God has done for you in sending us the gift of his son. And this brief little moment we have in life to experience living, moving, breathing being that God designed us to be, through Jesus Christ, we can experience what life is truly is beyond the sun. And the way that you receive that is by what we're talking about, faith. Letting go of your plans, letting go of your will, letting go of the way you think life should be, and trusting God with your future, with your life, with your hopes, with your dreams. Because he gave his son to die on the cross for you to pay for your sin. All the brokenness in this world caused by sin, Jesus took it to the cross. And through faith, you can experience freedom and forgiveness and new life. So let's pray to that end today. God, we want to thank you so much for what you've done for us. God, we look back at the twists and turns and the curveballs in life, the times when life has seemed unfair or has shocked us in awe and surprise. Those are the moments where we ask the big, deep questions in life. Thank you so much that you've given us an answer to these questions in the face of your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for his death, his burial, his resurrection. Easter is on the loom, and we look forward to celebrating new life risen up from the grave. We know that the grave is not the ultimate end, and there is life beyond the sun. We're just here in the waiting room, waiting for what you have next for us, waiting to be called home. God, we thank you so much that you have provided the way. You've provided a truth for our questions, and you've given us real and lasting life in your Son, Jesus Christ. We praise you for these things, God. Thank you for my church family today. Would you encourage us? Would you give us direction? Would you show us what your will is for our life this day? We pray your will be done and your kingdom come, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.